Okay, let's stand. Let's stand and let's go to the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Mark chapter 9, 9 through 13 in your Bibles. And the title of the message is, What to Do When You Just Don't Get It. Do you ever have one of those moments where you just don't get it? Maybe you don't get something about life. You don't get about something going on in your life. You just, you just don't get Maybe you're in the Word of God. Maybe today you're going to hear the Word of God proclaimed and you're sitting there and saying, I'm just not getting it. Some people go through life and they never get it. We want to get it, right? I don't know about you. I want to get it. I'd like to get it. So Mark chapter 9, 9 through 13, it says, Now as they came down the mountain, he commanded them, that Jesus should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I also say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it was written uh, of him. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray this day, Lord God, open up our hearts and minds. You know, Lord, your word is, is spiritually discerned, and we cannot understand it without the Spirit of God. It's a, a matter of humility and dependence, Lord God, and desire that we truly, Lord God, can come to your word and understand it. So, Father, I just pray for your spirit to enlighten us today. Let us look deeply into the word. Let us leave here, Lord God, with an abundance of your wisdom, with a, a deeper filling of your spirit, and with an enlargement of our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, sometimes, right, we just don't get it. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding what God is doing in our lives. We have a hard time understanding his will. We, at times, will have a hard time understanding his word or his revelations. And um, that's the situation here in the text. Peter, James, and John are having a hard time understanding Jesus. <laughs> They've been with him for about three years. Um, they have come to the place where they are grasping that he is God. Right? Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi, right? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they're grasping that Jesus is God, but they're having a hard time grasping what he's about to do. And that is going to the cross and dying for them and for us to redeem us, to save us from our sins, and then being raised uh, from the dead. So... As we looked at last week, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? They're up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see him glorified. Again, this, this is divinity. This is deity. This is the glory of God. Jesus is God. God has come to the earth. And they, they grasp that. And he's their God. Now, he's, he's there with uh, Elijah and Moses, and they're having a conversation. What are they talking about? They're talking about his death. They're talking about the cross. They're talking about three nails and a cross and six hours and the separation that he would experience in our place for us. So they're, they're clearly understanding that, right? No, they're not. <laughs> they're not understanding it. Right there, I mean, they're, they're, they're listening to this conversation. They, they ain't getting it. 
They ain't getting it. And they're, they're in a place of ignorance. You ever hear the, the saying, ignorance is... Well, it's not. Ignorance is tragedy. And you look at any person living in ignorance, and I'll show you somebody living in tragedy, and that's tragedy that just permeates their entire life. What you don't know, what you don't know will hurt you. And let me tell you something, what you don't know about God and His plan, if you don't, what you don't know about Jesus and His work, let me tell you, that will really hurt you for an eternity. So, they're in this place, well, you know what, they, they've got partial truth, but they're missing the other half of it, right? They're grasping onto who Jesus is, but they're not grasping onto what he must do. So let's look, how do you overcome, right? How do you overcome a lack of understanding? How do you overcome things when you're just not getting it? And the first, the first thing is wait. And if you look at Mark chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen. So don't go and tell everybody that, you know, you saw me glorified. He said, don't, don't go and do that. And notice the word till. <laughs> till, right? That, that's talking about, you know, a, a duration of time. You must wait, Right? Till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So wait, so what, why did Jesus say this over and over again throughout the Gospels? He told people he would do a miracle and he'd say, don't go and tell anybody what I did. Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. Don't go and tell everybody that, that Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Right? He, he's saying that over and Why? And again, Scripture gives us clear understandings. Mark 1.45, however, he went out and began to proclaim freely and spread the matter so that Jesus, right, this is after a miracle, the guy went out and told everybody, and so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. So reason one, don't tell them, right, don't tell them things, because he couldn't move. Don't tell them about my miracles, don't tell them about the transfiguration. If it got so bad that the crowds, and listen, listen, the miracles didn't save people, folks. Watching a miracle won't save you. It's the word of God that saves you. And the miracles were to attract the crowd so that they could hear the word of God. So it got so bad that the crowds, Jesus ended up having to go in a boat and preach because the crowds were just crushing against him by the Sea of Galilee. Another reason. John chapter 6, 15. It says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. He departed again to a mountain by himself alone. They wanted him to be their king. They wanted him to be the king of Israel. They, they wanted him, right, to establish an earthly kingdom, but he didn't come the first time to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to establish what? A kingdom in our hearts. They wanted him to shed Roman blood, and he didn't come to shed Roman blood, he came to shed his own blood. They wanted him to be the lion of Judah, but he came to be the sacrificial lamb of sacrifice. So that's again, they would have forced him to, you know, they would have forced him to a throne, and that's not what he came to do. Now, the third reason why he told them 
not to tell anyone and to wait. Mark 9, 9, we just read it, right? Till the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Because they only had half the gospel. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed he was the Son of God. They had half the gospel, but they needed to come to believe in his work, the cross, and the resurrection. So they only had half the gospel. Again, salvation, salvation. Romans, the little Roman formula that you see. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you must believe in your heart that he is the Lord, that he is God to be saved. And then you also must believe that he died for you on the cross and was raised from the dead. And again, they only have half the gospel. So he says to them, wait, wait. In John 7, his brothers, his earthly brothers, half-brothers, Mary had other children after Jesus was born, and um, they're telling Jesus, go up, to, go up to Jerusalem, go up to Jerusalem, and you know, tell them that you're the, the Lord and the King. And this is what Jesus said to his brothers in John chapter 7, 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. You know, there's Jesus' time, and then there's people time. There's Jesus' time, and then there's people time. You want to get on Jesus' clock in your life, because that, that, that's, the, that's the right time. Because if you're on your own time, you ever see people, that when they're on, their own, they're on their own time, they're on their old schedule, they're not waiting, they're impatient, and they make a lot of really dumb, stupid decisions that really mess up their lives. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says to the disciples after the resurrection, Behold, I, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, wait. Right? Terry means wait. In the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So go and wait. How many were waiting on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came? How many? 120. Right. Did you ever hear the story of the 121st? He got really impatient. He said, the, 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 the promise ain't coming, the spirit ain't coming, and he left, and he missed out. Imagine that. That's, by the way, a, ficti a fictitious story, but he missed out. <laughs> How many people miss out? They, they miss, think of your own lives. How many things have you missed out in life because you wouldn't wait? And that could be all kinds of things, things that affect your, your family and your marriage. They affect your health. They affect your finance. I mean, hey, when COVID hit and the stock market went from 29000 to 17000 in two days, we had people running around the church saying, get your money out of the bank. Get your money out of stocks. You hear some of those people? Some of you on Facebook, I'm not on Facebook, but people were telling me there were people in the church telling them that. Haven't been around that long, but I wasn't born yesterday. And I know when the stock market goes down, it eventually goes up, maybe until the, uh, the end comes. And all I can tell you is, I didn't go out. I'm so thankful I didn't go out because what did it do? It went back up to 36,000. In fact, you know what? I was buying. When they were saying to sell, you know who I learned that from? Warren Buffett. They're one of the richest men in the world. When blood is on the street and everyone's selling, that's the time to buy. 
and I was buying. I didn't get it quite at 17,000, but I got it at 19,000, 20,000, 22,000, 24,000, 25,000. But that's when, when people just, you know, they become impatient. And they make dumb decisions. Dumb decisions. In Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he reached down to me and heard my cry. So we don't like to wait, right? I think of all, of all the generations in history, this is the most impatient generation that has ever existed. We, we, are, we are a generation that thrives on convenience and instance and fast. Look at, look at a lot of the food that we put in our body, right? We're too impatient to wait for the coffee to brew, so we make instant coffee. That's instant Indian, instant ramen noodles, instant French soup or French onion dip. We like fast food, right? right? You ever go to a fast food restaurant and, hey, they're two seconds slow and you're just really irritated because of that? We like to get them fast. We like to eat them fast, right? They slide in fast. And they slide out fast. <laughs> and you get indigestion fast. And then you know what you need? You need fast, instant relief. <laughs> How do you spell relief? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. It goes to work instantly. But we keep eating all that fast food, and what does it do to us? Yeah, it makes you fat. So then, then we look for, again, some kind of instant, fast cure, right? Now, I'm making fun here. Look at this. This was back years ago. People, people would actually... Do I need batteries? People would um, put a belt, this, this machine around them, and it would jiggle their fat, and they would think that by standing there doing nothing, that somehow it's going to jiggle the fat off of them. But look at what you have today. The jiggle board. You ever see this thing? It's all over TV. People stand on the jiggle board. <laughs> jiggle, and they think it's going to jiggle the fat off of them. And then you got the jiggle dumbbell. Do you use the jiggle dumbbell? <laughs> and people think, you're going you're to lift this jiggle, this thing. It's going to jiggle you. And it's going to make you build muscle. It's not. But this is, again, this is the culture. This is the culture. Hey, then you got instant hair. You just spray it on. Ken? Sam? A lot of shiny heads in this church this morning. Just instant hair. I tried it. I, I, when it grew, I had it styled like that preacher, Derek Prince. His hair. So here, here we are, right, in, in instant land. Right, we want everything fast. We want, we want everything yesterday. Everything. Right? You want a great marriage? 
It takes time and you build it. You want to raise great kids? It takes time and you build them. Want a great body? It takes time and you build it. Want to be financially secure? It takes time and you build. Want to be spiritual? See, look at the church now. Church filled with instant people. So this is a, a, a church. This is the drive-through church. Drive-through Christianity. There's no need of fellowship. There's no need of body life. There's no need of using the gifts of the Spirit. There's no need to build relationships because you can't because you got eight tons of steel between you and the people next to you. And this is a popular church model today. No responsibility, no accountability. Very different than the church we see in the book of Acts. How about drive through communion? We even had a church in town doing this. The woman standing on the street corner dishing out the Lord's Supper to anybody and everybody. And then we got the Zoom church. By the way, we went Zoom for a few months, and I can tell you, it was total gloom for me. Total gloom. I told the leaders in the church, if this continues, I'm gone. I'm going to go somewhere where people really want to meet because I ain't doing Zoom. It was just, it was Zoom and gloom. And you know what I find the Zoom church leads to? To the tomb church. So you have a bunch of dead people. Because you really can't have church that way. And then the Zoom church ultimately ends up being the doom church. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, it says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings of eagles. And they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not be faint. And in the word of God, to wait on the Lord means to hope in the Lord, to live with expectation and anticipation, to trust in him. It requires faith. It requires patience. It requires humility. It requires tenacity. It requires persistence. It requires you keeping the commandments of God and enduring to the very end. It, 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 it involves planting, letting, you know, letting the Lord plant that seed in you and you patiently nurturing it, watering it, tending it, nourishing it so that it can flourish and become a fruitful vine. So what, what he says here, very simply, to the three is wait, wait. And that's a really good word for us today, wait. God's got me waiting on some things right now. I, I, I tend to be, when I see a problem, man, I want to go after it, I want to tackle it, I want to, I want to fix it. And he says, wait. Number two, bring it to Jesus. So in, in Mark 9, 10, it says, so they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Now, again, they're, they're chatting between themselves. They're not talking to Jesus. So you listen to it. You've got three who are really, I won't say in the complete darkness, but man, they're in the gloom. And they're walking with the light of the world, and you would think that maybe they would bring it to him and ask him about the rising from the dead. So there's, there's some clarity, but there's confusion, and they're just chatting amongst one another. So look, look at this. You, you have clarity 
And I, I believe they understood, they understood that there would be a great resurrection. So in Daniel chapter 12, 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. I believe they believed that the Jews in the time believed it. When Jesus talked about the resurrection to Martha, when he went up to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, she said, I know at the end of the age there will be a resurrection and Lazarus will be raised. They understood that. They understood, you know, in, in the book of Job 19, verse uh, 26, 27, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. So, so they, got, they got that part, that there would be a great resurrection. What they were not getting was that, what? Messiah would be raised. So they, they're, they're in a place of confusion concerning the Messiah, they didn't get that he had to die and he had to be raised from the dead. And that was the cultural norm. That was the cultural consciousness of the people of Jesus' day. They, they, they saw him as the lion. They were not grasping that he is the lamb, though it's from right, Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Malachi. It's about the lamb who must come and die to pay the price for people's sins. So they're... They're not getting that. Though the scriptures, the scriptures are clear on his death and his resurrection. Look at, look at Psalm 16.10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That's the grave. No, you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You're not going to let me rot in the grave. You're not going to let the, the worms eat me up. It, it's talking about the resurrection. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9 and 10, people always talk about Isaiah 52, 53, talking about the cross. Well, Isaiah 52, 53 talks a whole lot about the resurrection too, especially the end of chapter 53. And they made his grave with the wicked. He was crucified between two thieves. But with the rich at his death, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Uh, he has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Right, notice, notice, it's saying he's going to die. But he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. Well, how do you die and have your days prolonged unless there's a resurrection? And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So what you, what you see here again is they understood that there would be a resurrection. They did not get that there would be the resurrection of the Messiah. So they're, they're, they're in this place where they have these questions. What do you do when you have questions? Jesus was asked 61 questions by people. 25 of the questions were asked by the apostles. Two were asked by the Pharisees and Pilate, and he refused to answer them. And six were asked by women who he had interaction with. So you have the, the woman by the well, right? She comes to him and she's asking him questions. Nicodemus came, right? How can one be born again, right? The, 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 the rich young ruler, what must I do to receive eternal life? He didn't like the answer. <laughs> the, the, the apostles, right? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Martha, 
who came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. When Jesus walked right through the temple and he said, not one stone will be left upon another, the apostles then asked him, tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs of your coming? And even at the ascension, they asked the question, Lord, is this the time of the restoration of your kingdom? So just, you need to go to Jesus with your questions. Just so when you have questions, and you're questioning things that are going on in your life, you're questioning God's will for your life, you're questioning something in the word, go to him and place your question right before him. And just be still. Be still before him. Right? What did he say? I think, I think he said something like this. Right? He said, ask, seek, and knock. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. And knock and the door shall be opened. All right, number three. Focus on the word. Mark chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. And they asked him, saying, who do the scribes say that Elijah must come first, right? Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Notice here, what are they focused on? The scribes, the oral tradition. And then Jesus says, then he answered and he told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written? Notice what he tells them to go to. Go to what is written. Go to the Tanakh. Go to the scriptures. Go to the Old Testament. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? And notice, he brings it back again to his suffering. But go back. See, what do people do? They go to people for answers instead of first going to God. So you go to, you go to churches. You know, what you, you know what you get in churches? You get Calvinist theology, Arminian theology, Roman Catholic theology, Episcopalian theology, or some other theology. I'll tell you, just as, as I've walked in, and I'm not here saying in any way that somehow I got it all, folks. I don't. But what we try to do here, right, I'm thankful for Calvary chapels all over the country. What we try to do here is keep people in the Word of God. And somebody said to me the other day, well, I'm a Calvinist. I could really care less if you're a Calvinist. I really don't care. I don't care. You know, all these different, you know, isms and stuff. And it just, what does the Word of God say? I don't care what, what some dead guy said 500 years ago. What does the word of God say? And this is exactly what Jesus does here. It's, it's not what the scribes have said. What is written in the word of God? And that should be our concern. Even Paul, as, as great as Paul was, I mean, he's a, an apostle of apostles, anointed by God. What did he say to the Bereans? He commended them because they checked the word and to see what he was saying, if it was true or false. Go to the word. We say this all the time. Check everything that's being preached from this pulpit. Check every preacher that's preaching from this pulpit. You got a bunch of young preachers coming up here in the church right now. Hopefully, eventually, in time, many of them will be sent out. But but just, you know, hey, what are they preaching? Is, is it, does it jive with Scripture? Is it harmonious with the Word of God? Is it in tune with the Word of God? Because if it's not, it's your responsibility to challenge them. That's so we keep the church pure. Instead of people sitting there and saying, oh, my pastor said, my, I'm embarrassed when I hear people in the church, my pastor said, because who am I? 
Who am I? It's, it's, it's what the Word of God, it's what the Word of God has said. So, the scribes say Elijah must come first. Okay, what are they ref- referring to there? They're referring to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's the glorious appearing. That's Revelation chapter 19. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So Elijah will come before the second coming of the Lord. Now, some people believe he will be one of the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. Maybe. Some people say it's Elijah and Moses. Some say Elijah and Enoch. Some people are very adamant. I don't know. I know that there was a guy here in the church last year who came and said, I want to become a member of the church, but you have to believe something about me. And I said, man, I I said, I don't know if I can commit. He goes, you have to believe this or I will not become a member of your church. And he sat down up in my office with me and he said, I am one of the two witnesses. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's sad. One of, the things, one of the things in the church, people who come to the church with, with mental instability, we have to be careful with them. Even what I'm just preaching to you right now, because people who are mentally unstable, they will buy into things. They will believe. I mean, we've had people come and people have told me that, you know, many, many things. One guy, you know, was telling me he's the Antichrist. And I said to him, you're not smart enough, nor are you good-looking enough. You're not the Antichrist. Calm down. We have to be careful. We have to be careful in the church. But that was the, you know, that was the situation that, that happened. So some people, Gloria, Gloria Napoki, she believes it's Moses and Elijah, right? She'll prove that to you. I can't. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to do that. All right, number four. Swallow the bitter and the sweet. So Mark chapter 9, verse, again, 12, um, it says, And how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Again, they're asking about Elijah. He's talking about the cross. And um, again, they're, they're good at swallowing, you know, the, the glory. But they're having a really hard time swallowing the suffering. And this is something, I, you know, I, I've been preaching, I've been preaching for 40 years. This is something that people do. I mean, you know, the, the church right now, you look at most preaching on television, I mean, it's just all sweetness. It's just honey, right? The, the, you, you, you know, do you hear people preach about sin, about hell, about, the, you know, the lake of fire, about judgment, about, about discipline, repentance, that's that people, it's just, it's hard, it's hard to swallow. It's hard, it's hard to build a church when you're, 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 you're preaching the complete word of God. I've seen things, you know, I'll preach, I'll preach some, I'm, I'm in a text and I preach through, I preach through the word. So I'm in a text and I'm preaching the word of God and it's like a lot of sweetness. We're just like, you know, maybe Philippians, right? It's a lot of sweetness in Philippians, right? Philippians is just a sweet book, man. It's like eating honey. It's like going to the bakery and getting some really good baked goods, right? You got some cannolis and some shrivadels there. It's really sweet. It's just really sweet. But then, you know what? You come, hey, come to First and Second Corinthians. You know what? You got some bitterness there because those people weren't walking with God. 
So there's a lot of discipline there. And um, so we, we need to swallow, right, both the, the sweet and the bitter. Look at, look at Revelation chapter 10, 8 and 9. It says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And that's how the word can be, right? I'm very careful when I read the bitter. The Lord is listing a bunch of sins, talking about that these are the things that people do who will not enter the kingdom of God. And I want to be really careful. And I do this, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you this from my heart. Every, every morning when I come to passages like that, and I'm looking, and I'm saying, how am I doing? And, and the Holy Spirit convicts me at times on things. Not doing so good in this area. Maybe you're being a little judgmental. Maybe you're being a little bit, a little bit angry. And um, I think that's an, it, it's important to do that. Because again, the sweet, the, the sweet, is, the sweet is easy. So the apostles, again, they're just swallowing the sweet, the glory, but they're choking on the bitter. So Jesus, Jesus says, and he, he says here, the Son of Man... And I believe this is what Jesus was referring to. He was referring to Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14. And again, the Son of Man in glory. So it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. This is the Son approaching the Father. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples, every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will, will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus here is saying he is the Son of Man. This is him coming in his glory. But, but again, they were buying that. They were, they were chewing on it. They were swallowing it. It was sweet to them. But again, they're choking on his passion. They're choking on the cross. They're choking on what he was about to do on that Friday. Look, look at this, right? Again, they're, they're focused on the glory. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me, and the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. By the way, there's about eight prophecies fulfilled in those few passages. And in fact, you take a couple of verses before, you have about 12 prophecies fulfilled in those few passages about what Jesus did on the cross. Now, now, again, they wanted the glory. They wanted the sweetness. But, you know, here is, is the truth. It, this is the bitterness. This is what is sour. Messiah had to die. Messiah had to be cut off. He would be pierced, his hands and his feet. He would be surrounded by enemies who would mock him, spit on him, and curse him. They would divide his garments at his feet. Again, a, another passage, right? Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than, en, uh, more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. Again, they, they wanted his glory. They wanted the glory of the Son of Man, not the suffering servant. And Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 6, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our 
iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Wanted the sweet, did not want the bitter. So they're, they're, they're gagging on the truth. They're gagging on the truth. And they're having a hard time swallowing it. They're not, you know, they're not getting it. And, and they're not getting it, again, because they are rejecting the bitter. And bitterness comes. It comes in our lives. We see it very clearly in the scriptures. The last point, last point is dig deep. And um, again, in, in Mark chapter 9, second part of verse 12, 13, it says, again, how it is written concerning the Son of Man. And again, notice again, with Jesus, he takes them back to the scripture. That he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come. And they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written. So I want you to, I want you to say, who is Jesus talking about here? Elijah has already... Wait, Elijah is going to come. Right. Right, we know that from Scripture, right? He's, talk, he's talking about John the Baptist. And understand this, John was a typology of Elijah, very, very similar, two, two very rugged, right, rugged men. They wear camel's hair, they, live, they both lived out in the desert, in the wilderness, right? They eat locusts, they eat honey. They take a stand against evil. They proclaim judgment. They eventually, they are persecuted. Um, in John's case, he is killed. He's beheaded by um, Herod. And in the case of Elijah, he's hunted down by Ahab. And really, not even Ahab. Ahab was a wimp, Jezebel. She wore the pants in the family. And she's, you know, she's hunting him down. So he, they, they both live this, this perilous life. They live in peril. So there's these, these similarities there. And that's what Jesus is saying. We see this again in, in the scripture. In Luke chapter 117, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready the people prepared for the Lord. So you know, some people say, well, well, actually, John was Elijah or John was the reincarnation of Elijah. The Bible don't teach reincarnation. The Bible teaches resurrection. So John 1.21, and they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. So there's, just, there's a point here that the apostles needed to dig deep here. And when you, when you dig deep, you have, to use, you, know, you have to use energy. You have to use mental energy. You have to use spiritual energy. You have to use physical energy to dig, dig deep and... I think there's a, a level of laziness here in them. Laziness. Look at um, Luke, last passage, 6, 46 to 48. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the streams beat vehemently against that house... And could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But they, the, the idea, you have to dig deep. And Jesus here is he's giving them, he, he's saying, Scripture, dig deep into the word. You have to, you have to dig deeply into the word to, to grasp it. How, how do we dig deep into the word? I don't know how you study the word. How do we dig deep into the word? 
I hear moaning. Who's moaning? What? Is it someone's stomach? Too much fast food this morning. You ate one of those uh, McDonald's uh, breakfast um, muffins. It's going through. <laughs> you got to pray. Every sermon begins with prayer. You start just reading the word and praying on the word and asking God to reveal the truth to you. You have to rely. You have to rely on the Spirit. Your Spirit is your teacher. You know, even coming here, folks, you have to let the Holy Spirit teach you. Your Spirit needs to be your teacher, not me, not any uh, other, you know, other pastor. We, we need to be taught by the Spirit of God. So the, the, the picture here is, here is our school, and we are all students, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and the Bible is our textbook. So we rely, we rely on the Spirit to be, our, to be our teacher. And the only way that it happens, again, you have to come and you have to pray, and you have to open your heart to Him, and you have to really yield to Him that He, he would teach you. Another, another key thing, when you dig deep, ask God, you know, commune with Him. Because you could read the Word and not get anything. You could be sitting here today and not have gotten anything out of the message because you're not in the Spirit here today. Spiritual things, okay, are discerned by the Spirit. And um, so ask God when you're, <clears throat> when you're in a Scripture verse. You should be in the verse. You should be in the Word every day. You should be in the Word. I like, you know, mornings. Be in the Word. Be in prayer in the mornings. I'm not a morning person. Well, become one. Okay, become one. You know what? Jesus got up in the morning and he spent time with the Father. I just tell you, again, if he did that, who had no sin and was God, I certainly, who have a whole lot of sin, right, and fall short of the glory of God, and I'm not God, okay? I need to just be with the Lord in the Word in the morning. So you get up and you spend some time in prayer. And then you, you ask the Lord, you're in the passage, Lord, what are you saying here? And we're, we're really looking for something in context. This isn't what I think you're saying. This is what are you saying here? Because there, there is just one true meaning of what God is saying in the passage, not 25. So you're, you're in the context. What are you saying here? And then ask the Lord, what are you saying to me? Now again, that doesn't mean there's going to be a different meaning, but what are you saying to me through this passage of Scripture? where I'm at right now, with my life. Now, you can read through the Ten Commandments, and God may be speaking to you differently than He would with me going through the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments. They don't change. Truth is truth. And then say to the Lord a third question, Lord, what do you want me to do? So you've revealed this truth to me, what do you want me to do with it? Do you want me to maybe obey it, to put it into practice? Maybe it might be a passage where you just simply believe. A lot of times we're just believing on something. Other times we're believing and we're obeying. So what do you want me, Lord God, to do with the passage? Now you're starting, now, see, now you're digging, folks. Now you're digging. Want to go a little deeper? What's the best way to interpret Scripture? That's right. It's not a commentary. 
Commentaries are good. When you're just about done with everything, you check out the commentary just to make sure. Some great teachers, right? You make sure you're on solid ground. You're not off on, you know, on some wacky belief. But just, you know, you get a commentary, you get a concordance. Just check the, pa- check the words. Check the passage to some other passages. That's what we do here. The word interprets the word. I'm really not here to tell you what I think. I'm trying to do my best to tell you what the word of God says. And so, you know, again, you're, you're digging, you're digging deeper. Get, get a good Bible. I'll tell you, it's, it's good to get a good study Bible. And we like John MacArthur's study Bible. It's very deep. I don't agree with everything John MacArthur says, but you know what? He does a good job. He, give, he gives you a little commentary, but he gives you a concordance, gives you some dictionary. Some dictionary. You can, you can, it's, a, it's a good investment, $80, right? You get, a, you get one of those you get with leather. Hey, you get the one that's made out of cardboard, you get it for 40 bucks. It's a good investment. But then you can, you know, you, you, you dig deep into the word. By the way, the apostles, they learn to dig deep. You see that with Peter in the book of Acts. You see it in his first and second letter. You see it with John. They learn, they learn to dig deep. But at this point, they're not digging deep. So here's our, here's our wrap-up for, for the day. Again, two key things in Mark chapter 9. And it's, it, it's, again, it's a flowing theme. It starts all the way up at Caesarea Philippi. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the Messiah of Tanakh, the Messiah of the Old Testament, the one who fulfilled over 400 prophecies, about 325, and about 80 typologies. He is the Messiah. He is God in the form of man. And you must believe that to be saved. What did Jesus say? He said to Peter, who revealed it to you, Peter? Wasn't flesh and blood. Wasn't his flesh and blood. He appeared as a man. It It was the Spirit of God. It was the Father revealing that. So you may say, well, I'm really having a hard time believing that Jesus is God. Let me tell you something. Your eternal destiny is going to depend on that. You need to start to seek God and say, Lord, I really want you to reveal that to my heart if he hasn't. That's right. This is where they're at. They got half. Right in the beginning, Mark chapter 9, but the other half, right? The other half. Jesus is God, but his work. He died for you on the cross. He took your sins upon himself in that incredible event, the greatest event of history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It splits history right in two. Have you noticed that? What is today? You guys are like really spaced out today. What is today? February what? February 27th. Is it 27th? 2022, what does it tell us? You could take that all the way back to, right, to Jesus. And by the way, the, the um, Gregorian calendar, there's some... <laughs> but it's, we get the point, though. He split, he split time in two, right? B.C., right? A.D. Right, what, is, what does A.D. stand for? Ariel Domini, not after death. <laughs> Who said after death? No, it's not after death. Adio Domini, right? It, it, it's like, right, you, so you, you have before Christ, but after Christ. And um, he died for you. 
Who's ever died for you? Right? Who's ever died for you? He died for you. And then he was raised from the dead. He's alive. And you know, he's alive to give you a living relationship with him. We don't worship the dead Savior. Right? He's, he's a living Savior. And just, just as he appeared to Mary Magdalene that morning, right? She's in awe. Well, he, could, he can give you that same awe. She's filled with wonder. Right? She knows Jesus. He knows her. What did he say? When she was like looking in the tomb and it's the eye, tears are coming down, she doesn't see anything but the, dead, the tomb and she's got covering with, with tears and she's weeping. She's looking in the wrong place. She thinks he's dead. Jesus comes up to her. She thinks he's the gardener. And uh, what did he say to her that woke her up? Mary. And she knew immediately it was Jesus. He could call your name. You could have that relationship with him. And you could have, again, that same wonder. She clung to him. Well, you know what? You can cling to him today. It's real. It's powerful. It's wonderful. If you have it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you're looking in and wondering. By putting your faith in him as your God, as your Lord, as your Messiah, and believing that he died for you on the cross and was raised from the dead, your Savior, you can receive salvation and be saved. And today can be the day of your salvation. If you haven't taken him into your heart, take him in today. Amen? So bow before our King. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. And Lord, I thank you for your patience with me. Sometimes, Lord God, just, you know, you struggle to understand things. But we thank you, Lord, that you're always there. And Lord God, if we're patient and we wait, if we come to him, we ask the questions we need to ask you. Lord God, if we'll persist in digging, Lord God, deeply into your word. Lord, the things you want us to understand, we will understand. So, Father, I just pray, Lord God, on this morning for anyone here, Lord, who this could be the day of your salvation. Right now, just say to Jesus, Jesus, come into my heart. I believe you're alive. I believe you died for me on the cross to take all my sins away. And, Lord, I bow before you and I just confess you as my Lord and my God. And I have this new beginning with you. In Jesus' name.